I'm Jason Hatcher, Managing Principal of Navigators Western Operations. Welcome to the Western Edge. Western Edge is a Navigator podcast featuring the latest perspectives on Western Canada's biggest stories. So we're kicking off season two today with Ryan Wright, co-founder and president of New Leaf Firms, a vertical firm startup igniting conversations in the ag tech sector. Ryan actually has 17 years of experience in energy, particularly in engineering and construction, prior to co-founding New Leaf in 2016. Today, we're gonna unpack how we got from energy to agriculture and learn an awful lot about this exciting new tech sector. Well, welcome, Ryan. Thanks so much for being here today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jason. Been looking forward to this. So listen, I've got to ask for those listeners who might not know what vertical farming is. I got to ask, what is vertical farming? Because most of the farmers I know would say they're standing up all day long working. So I got to I got to think it's more than just standing up when you're farming. Yeah, yeah. Uh, vertical farming, it's, it's not a terribly new concept. Uh, it was actually largely uh, kind of kicked into early stage uh, commercial development by NASA back in uh, in uh, the late 90s and it picked up by Columbia University uh, during the 2000s. And essentially what we're doing is we're growing crops indoors uh, year round, uh, typically in some form of stacked uh, layered system. Um, and then we use artificial light and, uh, and control the environment to, to uh, increase crop yield and nutrition. And, uh, and obviously reduce the risks that come with growing outside with Mother Nature. So this would be, just to make an analogy for, for those listening, you know, we've seen those herb gardens you can purchase uh, for your home, for your kitchen and that sort of thing, and they come in various shapes and sizes. Is it a similar concept to that? I, I know there's different types of those as well, though. They, they definitely range in, in uh, complexities and, and, and in styles. I guess the, the, the home units that you see are... Uh, are a very user-friendly version of what you're doing, but on a commercial scale, uh, these are typically in warehouses of a couple thousand square feet to maybe even a couple hundred thousand square feet. You know, that it's highly automated. You're a lot, of, a lot of sensors and devices. And what it's really doing is tuning the environment, both nutrient delivery to the plants and your environmental control to really get the, the maximum amount of, uh, of food production out of a given square footage. Let's just start with the process a little bit further. I mean, and I know you got some proprietary sort of pieces to it, the secret sauce as you will, but these are plants that you effectively don't use soil or don't use much soil, is that correct? And and like you say, you're, but you must use more water then, is that the case? Uh, we don't necessarily use more water, but you're correct that we, we don't use any soil. Um, now, there's different ways you can deliver um, nutrients and, and plant health in terms of a hydroponic system. So for us, you know, we're using conventional hydroponics where we essentially have water and we have nutrients suspended in that water. And, uh, and we really focus on uh, the precision that goes into delivering those nutrients to make sure that the plants are getting exactly what they want, when they want, when they need it. Um, there's other systems out there where you have aquaponics. Aquaponic systems are utilizing uh, fish largely uh, to, to provide the fertilizer into, into the nutrient as a nutrient stream to, to feed the plants. And to a lesser extent, you see aeroponics, which is, it, it, it's again using a water-based medium, but instead of flowing a constant stream of water, you're, you're basically misting uh, the plant's root bases. But all of these things are taking, you know, are, are using the principle of, of really you know, the, putting the precision in behind the the nutrients and the environment control to, to get a lot more production out of the plants. So, you know, you, you mentioned water a bunch of times and intuitively sort of think, oh, you must be using more water. And, and you know, you corrected me really quickly there. 
is that the environmental control that allows you to do that? Is it less evaporation or your more effective use of the water directly directing to the plants? Yeah, there's a combination of factors. And, and we spent a bit of time actually developing our tech a little beyond uh, what, what you'd see in a conventional hydroponic system. So uh, really, you know, where hydroponics find their, their water savings is in the fact there's a closed loop. So, uh, you know, we have a water reservoir where our nutrients are created. That water sent to our plants, but then we recapture that water, uh, retreat it, and then send it back to the plants. One thing that's a little unique with what New Leaf uh, has done is a large part of the water that gets consumed by plants uh, is absorbed and then shed in, in a process called transpiration. Basically, it's the plants breathing. And if you think about, you know, if you take a plant and you look at all the water that plant uses, depending on the type, but up to 70% of the water it consumes will just be transpired to the air. So it's like evaporation. And one thing that we're doing is we're growing in these sealed environments where we can see that air uh, and, and decide how much humidity we want in the environment at any time. And through our HVAC process, uh, we're able to figure out the dew point of that air, cool the air very rapidly, uh, and then the water condenses like rain falls out, we check it for any signs of bacteria or viral loads. And then if it's safe, we re-inject that water back into our process stream as well. So for us, on top of the benefits of a, of a standard, you know, closed loop hydroponic system, we're recovering about 80 to 90% of our water again oh, out of the out of the transpiration. So in our facility, you know, depending on the day, uh, we'll be growing, say, 15 to 20,000 plants at a time, and we'll be doing so with about a gallon, gallon and a half of water an hour uh, to, to feed all those plants. So, you know, a big, big farm like us, we're using less water than a, a house would. That's, that, that's incredible when you think about a conventional firm and, 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 and the like. And I want to talk about that scalability that you've talked about as well. Before we go down that road, I mean, so you've talked about the amount of water that's that's used. Talk to me a little bit about the amount of land. I mean, it seems fairly obvious that, that you're using less land, but it would seem to me, based on some of the reading I did about your your, your facilities, that you're using like considerably less land than anyone would imagine on a conventional farm. Yeah, it is it is considerably less. Um, I think water is probably our main saver. So when you, you compare for us, we're always benchmarking our crop production against California production, because in a place like Calgary, where our facility is located. You know, we're importing about 80% of our leafy greens and fruits from California, maybe to a lesser extent, uh, Arizona. So it makes sense for us to benchmark kind of the environmental footprint against that. So for us, we're saving, you know, somewhere between 92 to 97% of the water that would be used in, in traditional ag. Um, we do grow in, in towers. So in the sense of the land, uh, we're producing, you know, uh, inside of our 10,000 square foot bay, we're producing somewhere closer to two acres worth of, uh, of California farmland production uh, every year. Now that's that's in terms of, uh, we get that benefit from having both a layered system where we're growing in these towers. So we're growing, you know, 20 plants in a square foot uh, at a time. We're also able to have the, the very high yields all year round with no disruption. And, uh, and, and also we lose less food uh, in the production. So if you think of food waste, that's a, that's a really under uh, misunderstood area here. And food waste in, in leafy greens and, and these type of production can be anywhere from 30 to 50% of the, of the produce that we grow. Um, inside of our environments, we're losing somewhere around 3% through our, through our whole supply chain. So you get to be able to produce more food 
from the given space um, just because you're not losing it through, you know, everything from hail to pest to disease, right? What about the electricity use? Certainly you guys must be higher in that space. Oh, for sure. I, energy is obviously the big, the big area for, for vertical farms and agriculture kind of in general. So yeah. you think of a traditional farm, everybody always thinks of the, the supply lines, the transport, right? And, and the, the GHGs that are associated with that. And again, we'll use that California as a benchmark. We look at the three major fields that produce uh, a lot of the food that we'll get here in Calgary. The average distance is just under 3,000 kilometers. Uh, inside of a, of a vertical farm like us, our, our average delivery is just under 30 kilometers, it seems, on a, on a typical week for the, you know, say last year. So there's a savings there. However, and, and then we also don't have the tractors, the diesel fuel, the amount of fertilizer. And, and this is all offset by the fact that we have to run artificial lighting um, to, to power our plants and then and, uh, and to power our farms. So it really comes down to a good process and a good design of your facility and your technology at the beginning. We uh, came out of the electrical field, so we obviously had a, a, a significant advantage when it came to, to the designs for power savings. Um, you know, our, our farm is, is still using less energy as a whole uh, than, than you would in, in a traditional supply chain. But uh, one area that we're exploring going forward this year is powering a large part of our farm from solar. So we're looking at putting a 300 kilowatt solar system on our rooftop. Uh, obviously, that's not going to power us all the way through the shoulder seasons or the winter. But we're looking at uh, off-grid agreements with, uh, with uh, renewable suppliers of electricity to provide us a renewable source year-round so that we're not, uh, you know, producing the GHGs that would come from, you know, coal, certainly to a lesser extent, but now natural gas. Okay, there's so many different areas that I want to, want to really dig, dig down and explore here, but I want to give you a chance to talk a little bit about New Leaf. So we've talked a lot already right out of the get-go here about some of the advantages of, of vertical farming and, and, and some of the environmental footprints, let's be honest, that and, and the impacts there, that proximity to market, and uh, obviously the ability to integrate renewable uh, energy generation is, is, is going to be a real, uh, have a real Im impact on, on what you guys are doing in terms of delivery to the marketplaces with respect to climate change and the like. But let's talk about about New Leaf. You guys are based here in Calgary, right? Yeah, we're based here in Calgary. Uh, it started with myself and, and two partners back in 2016. And uh, at that time, uh, the three of us were working in the energy industry. So you didn't, you, didn't, you didn't go to agriculture. You're not from a firm. You were in the energy industry. So you were in the patch? Yeah, well, we were, we were, uh, we worked a lot in downtown uh, doing automation engineering projects. Uh, so, so we came from a from an automation, electrical power distribution, and mechanical. Background. Ah, there's the connection. I can see how that would come in useful. Yeah, and and uh, so you know the the early days when we decided, uh, you know, well, I guess I'll back up and, and how this really started was uh, back in 2016. Uh, obviously, the energy industry here was was uh, having hard times, and there's a lot of talk about the need for economic diversity. Uh, there was obviously a talk around uh, climate uh, change and the, the, the issues associated with it. And the three of us kind of felt that there was a lot of talk about it locally, but there wasn't necessarily a lot of action being done. And uh, we were fortunate that in our careers, we had, uh, you know, we were holding senior level roles and, and uh, we'd executed large scale projects uh, across a pretty wide range of applications. So we had enough experience to be able to take on a sophisticated um, process that, that vertical farming requires, but we were young enough to be able to make that pivot in our career. And, and that's a pretty short 
timeline in, in any, anybody's career. So we decided to take the plunge and we went out looking at what was going on in container farms, these large open vertical farms, greenhouses. And uh, it stood out pretty early to us uh, that there was some, some significant gaps, especially around operational efficiency and, and how automation was being applied. Uh, that the, from you know what was going on in a more established operational efficiency business like energy or auto versus what we saw in, in say vertical farms. So we went through the age old process of, of uh, entrepreneurs and prototyping in a garage. And at the same time, we spent a, a couple of years doing, uh, you know, getting plant science education and, and taking that on. You know, we did kill uh, many a plant in, in our experiment days. I'm not going to, I'm not going to beat around the on that, but uh, yeah, we, we eventually came to a design that we really liked and, and we felt deliver a lot of value. The main purpose of it was to convert existing warehouse spaces into the year-round um, sources of local food and jobs. So uh, fast forward into, into uh, you know, once we had our prototype established, we basically did the, the detailed engineering for a commercial facility. Uh, we're not good people in the sense of timing, so... We actually moved into our 10,000 square foot lease a couple of weeks before COVID struck. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. So we had, uh, we found ourselves in a situation where, you know, young tech startup, we had a, a you know, significant uh, investment in equipment rolling in. And at the time, the plan was to have our contractors and execute this very project very much like uh, you would in the energy sector. However, uh, at risk individuals in our family, we basically called the contractors off. And the three of us dusted off the tool belts uh, and uh, and basically built the facility through through 2020. Uh, I, I got to interrupt and ask you, Ryan. Like you know, so you're, you're you guys are in pretty senior roles in the energy industry in, in Alberta. We know how complex that is in this province, from electrical to to generation, transportation, to oil and gas stuff. We all know that well in Alberta. But like, what was that conversation like with you when you went home or with yourself? Like, am I really doing this? Like, that's quite a jump. And then realize that you're, you're not only learning how to grow this stuff on the side or while you're doing this, but now you're going to roll up your sleeves and build it yourselves. How did yeah. that, how did that, how did that thought process and, uh, and decision-making go? Well, I think the initial onset of, of deciding if we were going to take this pivot, I mean, you got to look at it. I mean, there's risk there for sure. Right. And, and you're leaving the known and, and you're leaving a, a well-established career and, it comes a point where I think I think the three of us found it was it was just a situation where food security wasn't going to solve itself, and uh, and there's a point where there needs to be leadership and innovation uh, if we're going to forward uh, technologies that are going to solve some of the challenges we have today, and uh, we just decided that we would put our hats in the ring and uh, and try to provide whatever that's worth that leadership into uh, into this space. And, and that was kind of the, the driver there. And then when it came to, you know, building it all, well, that wasn't so much a choice, right? <laughs> we, we found ourselves in the middle of a pandemic with uh, transport trucks of gear rolling into a giant lease. So, you know, you got to make it happen. And that's the entrepreneurial spirit, I suppose. And uh, it's certainly the Alberta mentality of uh, get it done and, uh, and persevere. And, and very proud of what we accomplished there. Okay, so the trucks are rolling in, pandemic is hitting. You've, you've lost all your help or had to say, sorry, guys, we can't use you. The three of you are standing in a 10,000 square foot warehouse. So that's kind of the image of two years ago. I yeah. walk in there. What do I see today? 
Yeah, so you walk in here now, uh, there's there's now, uh, depending on the day, there's you know seven to 11 people running around here. Uh, there's a, a unmistakable waft of, uh, of fresh herbs and, uh, and, and uh, vegetation when you when you walk in the door. Sounds like uh, a good place to work. <laughs> yeah, it's not bad in the winter. You know, it's, yeah. it's definitely got its perks, right? And uh, when you walk in the back, I mean, if you think about it, we've essentially built a, a building within our building. Uh, so, you know, this structure is, uh, you know, it's over 20 feet tall. Uh, it's, it's, you know, north of 80 feet long. Uh, it, it, you know, it's a large, large structure, quarter million pounds, right? And, uh, yeah. and uh, inside that room is, uh, is full of hundreds of, of uh, eight foot tall grow towers where we're growing a range of herbs and leafy greens uh, all year round. We certainly have our experiments on the go too. Right now, I've got a couple of cucumber patches, some tomatoes and, and berries and such. Uh, and uh, and yeah, so it's a it's a full production farm where we're growing the goods. Uh, they're growing the product in our in our grow room. Products are being harvested, brought out, um, and and packaged the same day that we deliver to our customers. And uh, at the same time, we've discovered a market for uh, for the local greenhouses and nurseries where we're essentially providing them a lot of the starter plants for people growing in their gardens okay. uh, at home, which has kind of led us to a different part of our model that we discovered in, in the pandemic where, you know, when the restaurants got shut down, that's obviously a big source for us to, to provide food to. And, and uh, we, we decided when they were shut down, we would try to reach out to the community and see what their interest was for the local pesticide free food. And we found that as the pandemic went on, more people were concerned about how to grow their own food at home or, or where to get it. So we've actually started providing educational uh, services for, for things like that and, and putting on workshops and courses here at the farm to teach more people how to grow at home, uh, providing people everything from the plants to the fertilizers and knowledge on, uh, on how to do that and try to build a more community-centered uh, food security initiative in the city. So where can people learn about that? Plug yourself right now before I forget. Yeah, no, you can go to www.newleaffarms.ca uh, and, and you can find us there. We obviously are on uh, social media, the, the Instagram, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn uh, profiles. Our, our location actually is just down by the Deerfoot Casino, Southeast Calgary. So we're, uh, we're between the, the, the casino and the Toyota dealership in a, in a big warehouse there. And uh, we encourage people to stop by talk plants, talk sustainability and food and, and learn how to grow some stuff uh, themselves. So I want to get back to some of these big issues around food security and environmental alike. But tell us, I think we can transition to talk about that by talking about what you guys are growing and what kind of volume. So we're not seeing carrots hanging from the, from the ceiling yet, are we? Like the no root vegetables at this point, mostly leafy stuff? Yeah, no, no root vegetables yet. I think it's important uh, for us. We, we really, there's a lot of vertical farms that are doing leafy greens and frankly, when we were doing our initial analysis on uh, what was working here in Alberta, there's some greenhouses that do fantastic jobs when it comes to growing things like lettuce. Yeah. So we, we felt that, uh, you know, the value we could bring to a food security initiative there was debatable. But we did find out through our market research, that was things that, uh, like, as strange as it sounds, like basil, is uh, and a lot of these herbs are coming in from Hawaii, uh, Peru, uh, and then obviously down that down far. Down far. I didn't realize yeah. That. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, so that that's what we thought too. I mean, that's, uh, that's that was pretty shocking. So we thought, okay, well, we need to fire up more more localized production of, of that, and 
that's really just spidered out for us. And, and we're growing about 16 different varieties of herbs in, in this uh, facility right now. We do grow the kales and arugulas and some of the usual suspects. Um, we also grow herbs that uh, are, are pretty specialized. So one of our, an example of that is uh, our shisho, uh, which is a Japanese herb uh, that's always flown in from South Korea. And, uh, and now we're producing that locally for the for the local chefs uh, instead of instead of you know obviously that long extended supply chain. So what's the opportunity here? You talk about food security and the like. We, we, we've you know anybody who who turns on the news at some point in time during the year we're going to hear about challenges in California, which you've already mentioned is a huge supplier for us. But they have a, they have a lot of challenges. A they're supplying a lot of the world. B there's environmental challenges there as well. You know how far can this grow? What's the potential for New Leaf and for the market generally? Can do you think you can displace imports in in these categories you've described already? I think it takes time. Uh, uh, I guess you know the agriculture industry has been and the supply chains that we rely on have been established and in place for for decades. Uh, uh, certainly since the war, Second War, right? And you know we move so much food that uh, that it's going to take time to displace it to be fully independent. However, you got to start somewhere. And right now, you know, we talk about California. You're looking at a water crisis where parts of California this year are not going to receive any agricultural water uh, from the supply because they have to supply the supply the uh, cities and the people. Uh, so this is going to put further strain there. Um, we're launching inflation uh, push push through, and these vertical farms, for the most part, uh, are, are immune to a lot of the inflationary pressure. Did I read somewhere that your prices actually haven't gone up? Like you've remained pretty, pretty steady. Yeah, we haven't increased our prices uh, since since the day we've opened. Um, You're gonna be like the only industry in the country these days. That it's yeah, yeah, it might be right, and and uh, you know, it's 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 fortunate in that area, and and I think you know, for us, where our model goes is. When we designed our technology, we did so with the idea of instead of building very large farms uh, outside of cities, we wanted to build small scale farms and put them right in the communities. And a lot of that was the idea around our sustainability uh, metrics and the idea that, you know, to be sustainable in our food production, we're going to need to grow where we feed people. So we built this technology where we can go and set up as small as a 4,000 square foot uh, farm right into the community, supply every, you know, supply a select uh, variety of crops within say a 50 kilometer radius. And then if the, that market either uh, is larger than that farm or uh, or there's more uh, potential in another jurisdiction or another area, we just replicate another farm uh, into those areas. So we're creating essentially a distributed network of farm production over large geographical areas, like a hub and spoke idea. One of the benefits of our technology is we're able to, to sit here in, in our Calgary facility and we can pull up farms that are technically anywhere in North America and we can watch in real time what's going on uh, inside those farms from a food safety operations and then obviously the environment uh, standpoint. So that means we can provide remote engineering support, plant science, real-time facility optimization, and those overheads don't have to sit 
on each of those uh, individual farms, which obviously will, will plays a sense of the economics and how commercially viable a farm is. So that's one way that we, we help address uh, that component as well. You know, we often have these conversations. We talk about what's happening in a city like Calgary or Edmonton or Toronto or wherever the case may be across the country. But we often don't talk about rural Alberta, right? And it's easy to say, well, that's where the farm is. But the reality is, is they need fresh produce, especially of the nature you're growing, uh, just like everybody else. To me, there seems to be a huge potential. I mean, you know, that's that's where the real drop off is in terms of fresh produce. Sometimes you see at certain times of the year into uh, into our rural rural communities and like backbone of almost all our industries in this country. We forget it a lot, right? Whether it be agriculture, yep. oil and gas, energy, you know, you name it. You know, rural is the backbone of our economy. Tell us a little bit about that hub and spoke model and, and the potential for yeah. it. Yeah, so obviously, you know, everybody's kind of focused on the large urban centers, but that was uh, the rural and remote communities was something that uh, we want to keep in mind in, in these facility designs. So when we're looking at what was going on stateside um, in the large facilities, you know, the capex on these things is $30, $50 million for these large facilities. And this is just not viable for, for uh, you know, the, like a rural Alberta, right? So for a fraction of that cost, we can develop a solution that goes right into the community. And yeah, we can start providing that uh, that local food security, like you mentioned, and all those points are valid. But perhaps one of the most important parts is in rural Alberta, we're having a, a problem where the youth are leaving. Um, you know, they go get educated and they arguably don't come back. So the industries really struggle. Growth of these communities struggle. And at the same time in Canada, you know, you look at our traditional agriculture industry, the average age of a farmer is almost 58. Um, it's hard to get the youth to now want to go up to, you know, an hour above Stetler and, and do any farming. Uh, the way that we're approaching it, you know, we can put this technology right in the town that they live in. It's all tech enabled. You know, I basically run this farm half the day off my phone. Um, you know, so it's very touchpad enabled and this is, it's digital, it's, it's real time and it's more, it gets more interest uh, from the students and from an education perspective, it's a real world application of a number of STEM fields, whether it be from plant science to, you know, engineering on half dozen different disciplines. Uh, you know, we're, we're really taking a wide range of disciplines and, and bringing them all together to create a, a one turnkey solution that really keeps people engaged. Uh, some of the people that we've hired to, to run the farm uh, are university graduates uh, that had no background in agriculture, tech, industrial environments. And we've purposely been uh, been working with them in designing our, our front end, if you will. So like the screens that they interact with and, and how this all works so that we can basically take people um, that don't have to be engineers and don't have to be plant scientists and they can run the day-to-day -day operations of these farms. We feel that that's a real opportunity to try to bring the youth back into these rural communities and strengthen both the food security, but the local economics as, as, as the economies at the same time. Well, and talk to me a little bit more about food costs. I mean, we, we take for granted sometimes, uh, you know, the ability to buy foods until it's not there, whether it be a pandemic or inflation or whatever the case may be. But there's lots of people in our, in our community, in our society that can't afford necessarily fresh foods. And, you know, when I see, I do a lot of work with the United Way, and when I see the costs of, of food going up, you know, we all know what that means. It means that the, when people are squeezed, they're forced into to perhaps lower quality foods. And, you know, you think about kids and development and all those sort of things. 
thing. You know, what's the hope for New Leaf in that space in terms of food costs? Well, there's a, a couple ways we're looking at it. Um, yeah, you're right. I mean, at the end of the day, the first people that are affected by things like inflationary pressure are the lower income people, which is tragic if you think about it, because these are already the people. They basically have, have limited access to good nutrition and good quality food, mainly as limited access through its affordability, right? Affordability, and, absolutely. Yeah. So one thing that we were thinking, and we're working on this right now, and it's pretty cutting edge. Um, so if you think about it, vertical farms have a number of benefits that are uh, provided that are not monetized or captured just in the local production of the food. So in our example, uh, when we're talking about sustainability, we really look at this in five metrics. And we look at this in water savings, land, greenhouse gas, food waste, and then pesticides and, and uh, like agricultural runoffs. But one thing we're working on is the idea of, uh, we see the rise of ESG and you see the rise of, of carbon offsets. Uh, one of the challenges we see in ESG is any tangibility or, or, or anything that's you know anchored to productivity. So we're working on a process where every time we plant a seed in one of these facilities, that gets an ID. And that ID uh, follows that plant, that seed, as it moves from a, a you know germinating to a nursery to in a grow room, when it's harvested, who it got sold to. And that gives us a tracking and traceability on the lifespan of that plant. At the same time, we're collecting data on water savings, productivity over land, all those things that we talked about before. And the idea here is that we want to create a digital twin of our, of our food. And so when we produce, a, say, a, a, you know, we'll make it simple, a head of lettuce or a unit of basil goes out the door. At the same time, uh, we know how much water that's saved, how many greenhouse gases, and we can start assigning monetary value to this. So we know water, you know, if we saved 15 liters of water on this plant versus another, oh, water has a value. Um, greenhouse gas, self-explanatory, we have a carbon tax, it has a value. Land has a value. Food waste, uh, if you think about the methane that's produced from food waste, it's quickly correlated to, to uh, carbon dioxide, so you can start doing a ratio there. And the idea here is that we would create uh, this, this digital twin and this packet of information, and we'd be able to sell this as an offset credit to companies uh, that have poor ESG scores. Those companies that have poor ESG scores often struggle with paying higher interest rates from investors or, they, uh, or not being able to access capital if their ESG is poor enough. So by them buying essentially these offset credits, they're tied to real tangible food being produced. We're able to lower the capital costs of our projects and being able to put this technology into communities that otherwise couldn't afford it, which now drops the, both the, the capital costs and the, the, the price of the food for those people in, in an attempt to make this more affordable and more accessible uh, through uh, through that offset exchange. Fascinating. I mean, there's so many areas we could go in and talk a little bit about this, but you know, I guess where I'd like to know is where you see things going in the next three to five years you know let, let's let's play it out and, and like I guess combined with that is 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 what support do you need whether it be a regulatory environment we talk a lot in this show with the crossover between real need of pe for people and, and what the government's doing uh, and maybe the government's fine where it is but you know where do you see it and and what kind of help do you need and but really where do you see it three to five years in terms of your optimal yeah, so three to five years. I mean, for us, we're basically at a stage now for New Leaf where, where we've operated this facility. 
that we've gotten familiar with the technology and we've proven and hardened it. So it's ready for commercial deployment into, into new operations and, and horizons. So for us, we're looking for those strategic partners right now uh, to, to go and put more of this technology uh, remotely into into communities and uh, and expand our footprint and our production. That'd be like franchises? Yeah, it will, yeah, it'll move towards a franchise model. Um, in terms of the, the the industry as a whole, I think right now you're looking at it, last I saw it was growing at about a 26% compounded annual growth rate. Uh, you know, this is a multi-billion dollar industry and it's only gaining momentum. I think the drivers, uh, you know, from COVID have probably put fuel into that fire uh, in the sense of the, the broken supply chains. Uh, the climate crisis really hasn't gone away. I mean, here in Western Canada, we're still dealing with a ridiculous drought. Um, so I think the climate issue is there. I think the inflation is going to continue to be there. So I think what will happen is uh, in the industry as a whole, uh, we'll start seeing more crops, more wider variety of crops. So we're going to start seeing the peppers being commercially available, the berries, things like that. Um, so more perishable crops. You're going to see wider ranges of technologies uh, being used. And what we'll find is that certain technologies are better for certain types of crops than others. So this may this may get into you know one vertical farm in, in this part of the city is growing XYZ crops, and another one is on the other side of the city growing ABC, and uh, and and that's going to be largely tech driven. Uh, I see, in, in, I feel that like Canada is lagging behind uh, in the, the investment and in the development of this technology, uh, which is interesting because we probably have one of the strongest use cases for needing this technology. Uh, but frankly, you know, you look at the gains that are being done uh, in the United States and, and even more so in, in Asia, um, you know, where we're rapidly falling behind, uh, which is really too bad. Are there barriers that are causing that, Ryan, or is it just um, related to the game? The, I think the investors in those other areas are not as risk adverse as here. Um, I think uh, largely when we look at Canadian tech, it's always, you know, we kind of have a habit of looking at, well, is this already developed? Who's already using it? You know, all of this needs to be answered before an investor is willing to, to invest where in some of these other, other jurisdictions, they're, they're just looking at the need, right? So like we're, we need more food to growing, growing a, uh, or to feed a growing population. We need uh, an answer to the climate solutions. And those investors are, are more willing to, to take the risks associated with developing these technologies and solutions. And I think that's been carrying out for a little while. And now that's starting to cause the, uh, the gap. And you've been partnering with, or at least in discussions with some Indigenous communities as well, or some Indigenous leaders. Is there an element there you wanted to, to talk a little bit about today? Because I read that with a great deal of fascination. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, the, the, the Indigenous communities uh, struggle not only with the food, but there's the water and there's an energy component here, yeah. right? And it seems like a, a great fit for, for at least some challenges. Yeah, and, that, and that's kind of how we're, how we're seeing it too. So we're we're in discussions with uh, directly with several of the communities. Uh, we find that sometimes the, the the bureaucracy through the conventional government channels are really cumbersome to, to defining scope and, and actually getting something done. Uh, the communities themselves, you know, like for us, we have the food component. We also have a, a water treatment process as part of our farm. So we can deliver the, uh, the a large part of that water um, purification need as well. 
uh, and then obviously working with the, with the energy partners to be able to kind of deliver a turnkey package. And then again, we think that you employ the people right out of those communities. Uh, we give them educations and everything from, you know, plant science to automation to, to uh, food safety. And, uh, and we start, you know, empowering the communities to, to be growing their own food and developing their own technologies and, and creating opportunities within that. Uh, so, you know, right now the conversations range from groups in the Northwest Territories to some actually even stateside. And um, yeah, we're, we're, we're exploring those uh, today. And uh, I, think, I think with them, it's, I think the regulatory environment can be tricky. I think that a lot of the funding comes from uh, government sources, which fair enough. But I think some of those government chains are, are very convoluted where bureaucracy is pretty thick. That's risk. To, to actually getting things done. And, and maybe if it's not risk, it's certainly delayed. Well, it seems, uh, Ryan, that in, in, in almost every area that is uh, topics of interest or concern in society today, you guys are, are right there as part of the solutions. It's very rare that you get to talk to, to, uh, to an industry or an organization with so much upside. Uh, thanks for spending some time with us. Uh, I don't know if there's anything else you want to add while I've got you here, um, but we're going to be watching you closely from afar. Oh, thanks for having me. And uh, I think I think one thing that is worth mentioning is, uh, you know, there's there, especially, you know, kind of the political climate we find ourselves in today. There's a lot of villainizing of, uh, of energy and, and, and these existing sectors. And the reality from at least our experience has been the vast majority of investors in, in, in interest in making this tech uh, happen and, and solving these challenges has actually come from the energy industry. I think it's important that we maintain a strong energy industry to, to, so that we can, maybe we change the way that we use some of the capital, but nonetheless, you know, if we want to start developing innovative solutions like this, Alberta is full of people that, that do nothing but solve problems and, uh, and, and big problems. And I think there's a great opportunity to use that skill set and use what we've grown here to merge kind of into the next generation of, uh, of ag tech. To, and at the end of the day, the world needs more Alberta ag tech, and I think we can bring it to them. That is well said, Ryan. I think a great place to learn. I've often said if, if you know, every industry uh, applied the innovation that uh, has been used to develop the oil and gas industry in Alberta, you know, I think the world would be a more efficient place. And, you know, we see that now with uh, their charge to solve some of the carbon issues and get to net zero in, in the energy industry and the quick transition in Alberta, electrical generation, as you mentioned, away from coal. And, and now seeing what you guys are doing, it just feels like a natural evolution to take that innovation. I mean, off the top, we kind of joke around and how oil guys get end up in this or energy guys end up in this i should say and you know it's not that surprising it's uh it's taking that innovation and that hard work and and putting it to other uses i think we're going to see lots of it in the future yeah, me too i'm looking forward to it ryan thanks again so much i really enjoyed this conversation it's fascinating to hear the potential you know for for society in general and how we uh how we consume and and, and ultimately uh, procure our food is uh, it's going to be a hot topic going forward with inflation and it's going to be a hot topic with what your industry is doing. So thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jason. Well, this has been a great episode with a lot of fascinating information about the innovation going on in our agriculture sector and, and that crossover between ag and tech. Today, we discussed some of the solutions for food security and the ingenuity of Albertan solving challenges right here at home. A huge thanks to Ryan for joining us and sharing his expertise. If you want to learn more about Newly Firms, you can check them out on their website, 
newleaffirms.com or on their social media channels. We're excited to see what's in store for Newly Farms and the future of vertical farming. Now, next week, we're digging deep into a conversation with one of Canada's most talked about industries. Thanks for joining us and for listening to The Western Edge.